Well, this evening we're going to be looking at the death of Christ in Scripture and just thinking about that. How many of you love Christmas? I like Christmas. I like getting gifts. Um, I always talk, talk, when I was a kid, I always talked my mom into letting me open all the gifts on Christmas Eve except one. But you know, the greatest event in history is the death of Christ. And we call it Good Friday. In some ways, the greatest sin that ever occurred, people killing the God of the universe. And yet it's a good day. It's the reason that Jesus was born. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 10. And if you have your phone, switch it over to the ESV. That's what we'll be reading from tonight. And that's the cool thing about nowadays. It doesn't matter what version you use because uh, you just switch it on your phone. There, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you if you need them, John chapter 10. And we're going to be looking at a few references that are not in the Gospel of John. So we're going to start in John chapter 10, and we'll just be flipping over and kind of going through the story, and you're going to notice how much of it we skip. And I would just encourage you between now and Sunday, read that all. It is so good. And so... We're going to be considering uh, some other verses, and they'll all be on the screen, so you could just stay in John and, and flip as we go. We're going to think about three things. The first is that the death of Christ is the greatest expression of love that there is. You all know the verse. They put it up on all the football games and all those things, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And Friday, before Jesus rose, the day that Jesus was crucified, that's why he was born, so that he could make a way for people to be saved. God loves you. And if you're a child of God, you know that. That's important, not just for the moment of salvation. It is important every single day. And if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, Jesus loves you, and that is the greatest expression of that was his death on the cross, and we'll look at that tonight. The thing that Jesus did, the second thing we're going to consider is that he met our greatest need. We are born separated from God and under his wrath, and Romans chapter 1 talks about that. It says that God's wrath will be poured out on all of mankind because they suppress the things that God has put in their heart about him. The truth is that God has put a knowledge of himself in every single person. There's nobody who deep down in their heart doesn't know that God is real, doesn't know Jesus is real. But we, we grow up suppressing that truth. And Jesus came to meet that great need that we all know we have. Have you ever thought about your mortality, thought about death? And does it make you afraid? Does it, has it ever caused you concern? And that's the thing that Jesus took care of. He took the sting out of death. We don't need to be afraid of it. In fact, not only the sting out of death, but Jesus takes the sting out of everything in life because he solved our greatest need. And finally, Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. I remember being in church one time, sitting next to one of the leaders that was teaching kids and she leans over to me and she says, you know, I know that life is like a bicycle wheel. 
There's tons of spokes. They go everywhere. But they all lead to the center. They all go to the same place. There's a bunch of different roads, and they all go to the same place. And she says, I know that that's not what we believe here, so I don't tell the kids, but that's what I believe. Isn't that crazy? The truth is there is only one way, and Jesus is it. And so those are the three things that we're going to consider. Let's start by just thinking about this, that the death of Jesus is the greatest expression of love that there is. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. And what's unique is there, there's no way you could love somebody more than to die for them. And I know I would die for my kids. As a youth pastor, I used to think about would I die for the kids at youth group? And I would think the answer to that's yes. And, and I think I would die for people, but that's the greatest that I could do. But the thing is, I can't die for people the way Jesus died for people. And, and for us, Jesus, by giving up his life, did something that nobody else could ever do. There's a lot of heroic acts of love. People give up their life for their country in war. That's a great sacrifice. I know parents that have died, drowned, trying to save their kids in the ocean or in a pool. In fact, I even know somebody who drowned trying to save their dog. Law enforcement, they sacrifice their life running into buildings to save people, and sometimes they don't make it out. But Jesus' Jesus's death is on a completely different level. He, he gave something that's so overwhelming. Because when he died, he suffered the consequences of sin that we deserve. And that's an unimaginable concept. He bore the weight of the eternal wrath of God times every person that ever lived. That's what happened when Jesus died. And he did it willingly. And that is an unbelievable thought, that Jesus, understanding what would happen, did it anyway. So, John 10, verse 14, we'll start there. John 10, 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And he's talking there initially about the nation of Israel, but he goes on and he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus died not just for the nation of Israel, but for the world. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. Jesus laid down his life. There's a lot of people that when they sacrifice their life for somebody else, they're hoping it won't turn out that way. When people go to war, they are willing to sacrifice their life, but they're hoping it won't end up that way. Police officers are not planning to die when they run into a building, and so they risk their life. But Jesus gave his life. John chapter 12, verse 27, talks about how this weight 
was on the shoulders of Jesus. We hear this story so many times that sometimes we don't think about it. We hear it every year. We've probably heard it over and over in our life, and we can become callous to it. But Jesus felt the weight. Look at John 12, 27. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? When Jesus thought about dying on the cross for the sins of mankind, that troubled him. But he just said, am I going to ask God to spare me for that? And he goes on and he says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And then he says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice from heaven came and said, I've glorified it and I will glorify it. And the crowd that stood there heard and they thought it had thundered. And others thought an angel had spoken, and Jesus said this, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Unimaginable what Jesus was going to do willingly for mankind. It was a big deal. John 30, 13, 21. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. And this is the Lord's Supper, the, the Last Supper. And after talking with his disciples, it says, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke, and one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, that's the Apostle John who wrote this, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter says to John, ask him who, who he's talking about. And that disciple leaned back against Jesus and he said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus said, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread. And when I have dipped it, so he dipped, it into the, he dipped the morsel and he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now, in one of the other Gospels, we read that Jesus actually says to Judas right at that moment, all the disciples are saying, who is it? And Jesus hands it to him, and they're saying, it's not me, is it? And then Judas looks at Jesus, and Jesus says, um, it would have been better for the person to never who ha have been born that is going to betray me. So he says that to Judas sitting around the table. And then Judas playing the game with the disciples, he knows what he's going to do. He says, well, Lord, is it me? And Jesus says, yeah, you've said it. Go do what you're going to do. And what we find out is that in this moment, it says, then after he had taken the morsel, so Jesus says that, he identifies Judas, Judas is playing the game, and he's going to go betray Jesus. And then it says, here in John, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said, what you're going to do, do quickly. Jesus willingly went to the cross, and Satan wasn't going to trust his plan to Judas's sinful flesh and nature and sinful motivation. And Satan didn't send a demon to possess Judas. Satan himself entered Judas to make sure that this event happened. This was what Satan had been waiting for. It was a thing he wanted to do, was to see Jesus be killed. And in God's plan, that was going to be the very salvation of mankind. It's unimaginable that Jesus could have stopped it at any point, but willingly went to the cross. 
And he did it to meet our most desperate need. Do you know what the most desperate need we have is? It's our eternal destiny. It is actually not what happens in this life. It's what happens in our eternity. See, God has a standard that nobody can meet. In fact, I'll put some verses up here for you to see. Jesus said this, Matthew 5:48, "You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." That's God's standard perfection. And for many people, they think, "Hey, I've done more good things than bad. I know some people that are worse than me." But God says, "He is the standard, and every single person must match that standard. They must be perfect." And in case you're confused, Jesus goes on through the Apostle Paul to say this in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I remember one time I was sharing the gospel with a lady, and she had actually found me. I was in a parking lot on my way into a doctor's office, and this lady comes and finds me, and she starts... um, evangelizing me, but for a cult. And so I just was having a talk with her, and I just asked her, I said, so when you die and stand before God, um, what's going to solve your sin problem? And she said, well, I don't have a sin problem. I said, really? I said, have you ever done anything wrong? Have you ever been angry? Have you ever uh, told a lie? Have you ever done anything? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever been selfish? And she just looks at me and she says, no, no, I've I've never done any of those things. And I just said, because I know this verse, even though I didn't know her, but I said, actually, you know that lying is a sin, right? (laughs) Doesn't matter whether you think you've done anything wrong or not. Nobody is perfect and we're separated from God. And that is terrifying. Romans chapter two just says that God is keeping track of everything that anybody ever does wrong. And it says that people are storing up wrath for themselves. So God is watching everybody on earth, tracking every detail, and is storing up wrath. Here's the good news, and it's bad news, but it's good news, and that's Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, that's separation from God, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, without Jesus, we we earn eternal separation from God. But through Jesus, he paid that price. He solved the problem that we could never solve for ourselves. And he did it because he loves us, every single one of us. And that is so encouraging. So Jesus made a way for anyone and everyone to be saved. I've had a lot of conversations with folks throughout the years, and people always say, really, anybody? What about Hitler? He was so bad. And you know what? Hitler, in his last moments, could have cried out to Jesus and been forgiven for everything he's done. You can't think of a more evil Anybody you could think of that's evil and terrible and wicked in their last moment could cry out to Jesus and be forgiven. Because when he went to the cross, he went to the cross for everyone. Judas, who betrayed him, Jesus paid the price of his sin. 
But Jesus is the only way. There's not a bunch of different ways that lead to heaven. Jesus is it. And we know that partly just considering what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and what Jesus said as he thought about going to the cross. Look at John chapter 14, verse 1 through 6. Jesus comforting his disciples, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas says this, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And then this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is it. And he made a way for anyone to be saved, but it's only his way. And so we've got to come to Jesus. We've got to recognize him for who he is. We've got to recognize our need and call out to him. And there is no other way. If there was, Jesus would not have gone to the cross. Um, Mark chapter 14, verse 32. So after the Last Supper, Jesus goes out into the garden to pray. And he's in this garden and he's praying. And, and just read this with me. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. Now, this is an unbelievable event. Jesus is about to be crucified. He's been telling his disciples about it. And this is weighing heavy on Jesus, and he wants his disciples to pray for him. Have you ever had a moment that was overwhelming in your life, something that was so stressful, and you just reached out to people and said, will you pray for me? I've had those moments, and I call my mom a lot of times because I know that she cares about me, and I know she'll pray. And so I tell her what's on my heart. I tell her what's going on, and I ask her to pray for me, and I know that she does. But Jesus in this moment is asking his disciples, these people he spent three and a half years with, pray for me. He says, sit here while I pray. He took with him, verse 33, Peter, James, and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Jesus says, I am so sorrowful. I am so troubled. I could die. I mean, he, he, have you ever felt that overwhelmed? Jesus was overwhelmed to the maximum. And he says, just stay here and watch or stay here and pray. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed, if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, that's like Daddy, that's personal. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. That's the cup of God's wrath that would be poured out on him. And Jesus is praying, remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And what we find out is Jesus prayed this prayer over and over that night. He would go back to his disciples and they'd fallen asleep and he'd say, couldn't you stay awake? Pray for me. And then he would go and he asked again multiple times. Look at this next 
verse. Luke chapter 2, verse 43 says, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. So in this moment, God sends an angel to strengthen Jesus. And after that, it says, And being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. See, we think about Jesus dying for sins, and, and we erase the significance of what that was or the significance of what it meant to Jesus. But he was so full of anxiety, he said, I'm troubled to the point of death. And it, with angels comforting him, he just kept praying, God, I don't want this to happen. And he's sweating like drops of blood. Um, if there was another way of salvation, God would have said, okay, you don't need to go to the cross. But this was the only way. In Mark 14, 39, it says he went away and prayed the same words. So this was a big deal, and Jesus thought about bearing the sins of mankind, and that's what Jesus did for us. It says in John 18.3, so he's there praying, and his prayer ends with Judas showing up so that Jesus would be arrested. And this is something that a lot of people don't notice about what happened in this, at this time. John 18, 3, so Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus, knowing that all that would happen to him, came forward, and he said to them, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell on the ground. How many of you guys remember that that happened? All these people show up to address Jesus. And he says, you looking for me? They say, yes, it's me. And they all fall down. Jesus gave his life. Nobody took his life. And it goes on. And he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you I'm he, so if you seek me, let these men go. See, they let the disciples go, not because they wanted to, but because Jesus let them know, you can have me, but you can't have them. Jesus was always in control. He was always in charge. And he went to the cross willingly. He was tried. He was physically tortured. And he was turned over to be killed. And then he was crucified. Let's read that. John nineteen seventeen, And he went out bearing his cross to the place called the skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. Skip down to verse 28. Jesus has been on the cross and it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch held it to his mouth and when Jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished powerful words that was the moment that he had paid the price it was done nothing left for us to do 
Jesus didn't die so that we would be able to earn our salvation. He didn't die to make it possible for us to be good enough to get into heaven. He did it all on the cross. And then it says he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Jesus willingly died for us to pay the price for our sins. And here's what Isaiah 53, this is the Old Testament, talking about what the coming Messiah would do. And this is what it says in Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid the iniquity of all of us on him. And here's how we'll close tonight. Is to think it through, I guess in a sense, to say, so what does that mean for you and me? That Jesus died to pay the price for the sins of mankind, to do something that could not have been done, that nobody else could do. And it does require a personal response. We've got to decide what we're going to do with the truth that deep down in our heart we know. See, we could spend tonight going through all kinds of facts and reasoning and proof and evidence, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. But in a sense... We all already know because God's given the Holy Spirit to the world so that we'll know the truth about these things. So all we really have to do is just read what God says and just say it, and we all know that it's true deep down inside, though some people suppress it, but it requires a personal response. We're either going to accept what Jesus did or we're going to reject that. I love talking to people and asking believers, so what did it for you? What was it that was holding you back that happened? What did you realize that helped you make that choice? What did God do in your heart? For me, I just wasn't willing to give God control of my life. And one day he opened up my eyes and I realized it was foolish to do that. For Michelle, she wasn't sure God existed. And then all of a sudden she realized he, he, he did exist. And I always ask people, what was it that God did in your life? What, what did he do? And I would just encourage you that it is a choice that we make, how we're going to respond, but we do need God's help. I love John Mayer's favorite verse. It's the man, Jesus says to him, all things are possible if you believe, but you have to believe. And so the guy looks at Jesus and says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. If you don't believe, if you can't believe, whatever's holding you back, pray and ask God to help you. So we all have to decide. We need the cross, and so if you're a believer, if you're a believer, you need the cross, not just for salvation, but here's the encouraging thing. Our sin no longer separates us from God. Jesus didn't just save us and forgive us then. That's a permanent, ongoing thing. I blow it every day. 
and my sin doesn't separate me from God. Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light because he accomplished it on the cross. I am not going through every day trying to be good enough, worried about my failure, worried about the things that I, when I blow it or do something wrong or don't treat people the way I should treat them or don't think about things the way I should think about them. I'm not going through life with this huge burden on my shoulders because Jesus took care of it all. His yoke is easy and his burden is light because he did all the work. And the third thing is to consider, okay, that's the cross for me, but do you know that everybody needs the cross? It's not just us who know the Lord. Everybody needs it. And this is a message that we need to proclaim, and it is more important than anything else. When we think about the the people that we care about, and we see a lot of things going on in their lives, or our neighbors, or people who live Everybody needs to know Jesus. They need that forgiveness. That's the thing that matters more than anything else. And so tonight, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and I I would just encourage you to consider the death of Christ and what that means. Jesus made a way for everyone to be saved. And so tonight, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And with the Lord's Supper... When Israel exited Egypt, they did a Passover, and, Je- and, and God told them, do this every night, do this every year. And they were to do it every year because every time they got together and celebrated the Passover, they would remember what happened. And so on the night of the Passover, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, and think about this for his disciples. They heard all that was going to happen. They completely missed it. They were scattered. And then the next time they got together and they celebrated the Lord's Supper, it would have been just like they were there that night again. And they would hear all those things that Jesus said and they would think about who he was and what he did and it would bring it back to them like they were there. And so for you and I, we weren't sitting around the table and we didn't miss it exactly the way they missed it, but we can read the story in the Gospels We can hear what happened, and every time we take the Lord's Supper, it should remind us of what Jesus did for us. And so this is what we're going to celebrate. And so in a moment, um, the, the band will come up, and they'll play some music. And while they're doing that, there's some tables up front with some, some bread and some juice. And you could take that, and in front of your chair, there's a little circle, and you could stick your cup in there when you're done. Let me read the passage and then let's just take a moment and celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, thank you for what you did in dying for us. And Lord, for those of us who know you, we're so thankful that not only did you forgive our sin, but You've forgiven every sin we'll ever commit. We're not trying to be good enough for you. You love us. 
And Lord, for those who are here who don't know you, I pray that you would open up their hearts, that they would call out to you. Lord, that you would do what it takes to help them realize that you love them and that they would reach out to you in faith and have that eternal life and that peace with God that you provide. We ask these things in your name.